The Gospel of Luke, we'll pick up where we left off last week. Uh, this is part two of Prepared for Sufferings. We'll concentrate on verses 47 through 62. Last week we covered the 39 through 46, how God used prayer to prepare Jesus for the ultimate suffering upon the cross. You know, one of the things that we appreciate about the Lord, as we know, is that he shows us things to come. He doesn't want us to be caught off guard, to be forewarned, is to be forearmed. And it's important in our lives that we pay attention to those warnings and uh, make ourselves uh, open to what he has to say to us. You know, Jesus has come upon this hour in his life. You know, as you read through the Gospel of John, he makes that comment quite often uh, throughout his ministry. My hour has not yet come. Well, now his hour has come. He has been betrayed. The authorities uh, are going to come and get him. But he's not taken by surprise. He's fully prepared for it. As we'll see this morning, he was quite confident in what was about to happen. Uh, what I want to say, you know, John fourteen twenty nine kind of puts it in perspective. Jesus told his disciples, I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And so he, God lets us in on his secrets. He lets us in on things that are, that are going to happen on occasion uh, for, for lots of purposes. One of the things I learned this week is that 3,300 sheriffs were called to D.C. and they were uh, spoken to by uh, the head of the FBI, uh, Ray. Uh, the president, our president failed and did not want to meet with them. You do understand that the sheriffs are the most powerful uh, authority in our state, uh, the, the sheriffs. And so 3,300 gathered there and they were informed uh, by the FBI of things that are going on in our country. Now, many of us are familiar with not what happened in 9-11 and how the disaster and all that took place. And there were red flags uh, that should have been uh, paid attention to uh, to maybe avoid that disastrous event. And the, one of the first things out of this local sheriff, that this, is on, this is on YouTube, so this is probably some of you have already heard this, but he said that there are many, many more red flags right now. And it has to do with what we prayed about this morning, what was prayed for, about the people that are coming across the border. Uh, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. We need to be paying attention to this stuff. There are plants all around this country. I'm not saying this to scare anybody or intimidate, or, but we just understand that this is not uh, typical. This, there's something brewing that's not good. And we need to be prayed up and prepared. Uh, and only God can show you what to do for your family. But there are people that have come over the border that have uh, evil intent, let's just put it that way, towards the citizenry of this country. And not, not all of them are immigrants. We welcome them. We want to love them and, welcome, and help them. Uh, but there's a legal way to do that, and, and that's what we you know, stand behind. So uh, with that, and there's a lot more to that, but uh, the cyber attacks that are taking place, uh, the possibility of losing utilities, uh, there's all kinds of things that could bring harm to us. So just think about, and I'll end up with this, think about what we do, you would 
uh, do if you knew uh, a tornado was coming through this area and it wiped, wiped out your house? Or, or it didn't hit your house necessarily, but it, it, it wiped out a number of things in the area, and so we didn't have the things that we're used to. Our electricity went down. How, what would you do? Are you, you know, I grew up on a farm years ago. Uh, we, we had that activity often. We lived in a tornado zone uh, in the Midwest. And so uh, we always had things uh, in the storehouse. We had things because when the power went out, if we were delayed, we had something that we could fall back onto. And so that's all. Just examine, answer the question, what if? And it's different for you than and, and for me. That's fine. Just do what you feel like the Lord wants you to do. But that's my responsibility. One of the things that uh, has come, um, come to my attention and question was... Uh, how do you pastor in an election year? Very carefully. <laughs> and I wanted to probably state my position on this. Uh, there are those who believe that Jesus never was involved in politics, and I would probably agree with that. Uh, and I don't know that a pastor should be involved in politics, but I hate that word anyway. It's called leadership in, in uh, civics would be a better way to frame that. Uh, some people use the scripture that yeah, Jesus, when he was in that catch-22 situation, which a lot of pastors get caught in, uh, do we pay taxes or not? And don't you just love the way Jesus answered that? Well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, and to God the things that are God's. And actually... That's not Jesus not being involved with politics, although he was not involved. It was him giving us the balance. Now, I don't know how many of you have read the Constitution, but it'd be a good idea if you haven't. We have a different form of government than, our, than, than the rest of the world, if, if you aren't aware of that. And it says who, we have to discern who the sovereign is in our country. It's not the king, because we don't have one, right? It's not the people who run the country and the president administration, whoever it may be, that are the sovereign. Guess who the sovereign are? We, the people. That's right. And so Jesus gave us the balance. Render to God the things that are God. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Be involved in lo your local civics. Be involved. Is that not how we are supposed to uh, conduct ourselves by being light and salt because the moral people of this country have abrogated responsibility as citizenry. This is what we have. We have the wicked in high places. And so here we are. Have confidence in the place that God has called you. If you feel like you know, you're supposed to step up in your local area because that's where it's at, right, in the grassroots, uh, then do so. My position as a pastor is to bring you the message of God. I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's not my place. You figure it out, what you are supposed to do. My job is to bring a message from the Word of God. And I will, to ignore it and to ignore what's going, ignore what's going on in our country and in our world, I would be derelict of duty. But, to, but if that's all I do, then that's also derelict of duty. There's that balance and pray for me. Because if I don't say it, there'll be people that will be offended. If I say too much, 
then there's going to be people offended. It's really a, a catch-22. It's not an easy position to be in. So that is my position. <laughs> that sounds like a non-position. Anyway, let's pick it up. Stand with me as I read uh, the first paragraph of our message this morning. I don't think that was part of the message necessarily, but uh, it sounded more like a public announcement, didn't it? <laughs> verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before him and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him, Have you come up as against a robber with swords and clubs? And when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And may God bless his word. Amen. You may be seated. Betrayal defined as the opposition or harm that befalls someone at the hands of someone they trusted. And here we see probably historically one of the worst betrayals uh, that could happen to someone. Three and a half years, Judas walked with not only Jesus but the other disciples, and yet there was something within him that was not right. And I'm sure Jesus was aware of this, and I sometimes wonder, why would you do that? We have lots of questions like that, don't we? The why God questions, of, there's, that's what faith's all about, isn't it? There's some things that God cannot answer. There's some questions that God could not answer because it would only create more questions. And trust me, when we get on the other side, most of us are convinced that it probably won't matter a whole lot. A lot of our why questions, we just will put it away, will we not? Betrayal is a tough one. But look at our participants here, the chief priests and elders. This is the Sanhedrin, uh, consisting of the Pharisees and the uh, um, Sadducees. That, that's, again... Uh, because they were so off doctrinally, that's why they were sad, you see. Um, that was a bad one. Then. <laughs> Just, I'm glad you're paying attention, though. That's good. <laughs> so they are the ones responsible for sending out the warrant for Jesus' arrest, so to speak. They uh, secured the aid of the Roman troops. Um, notice that they sent a multitude close to six, could be 6,000, could be 12,000, a legion, we don't really know, but a multitude uh, to arrest Jesus. You know, again, we need to be reminded that it isn't just the church that's going to persecute the followers of Christ. It will be a combination of the government with the apostate church in the end times that will come to get 
and get, get after uh, those who have a witness and are witnesses of Christ. And so we have the government here, the apostate church, if you will, coming to arrest Jesus. Uh, we see this, you know, again, uh, just, just read through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what's going to happen. There are men. Why would you do that? I mean, there's, there's you know, 13 or 12 guys there. You're going to need 6,000 or plus to arrest Jesus, who's never done anything even close to being, you know, criminal. What are you afraid of, right? But actually, we know it's used to in, intimidate, to traumatize. And, and this is what will happen in the end times. The force that will come against the church will be intimidating. We know what it's like to be intimidated, what happened to our country and around the world four years ago with this whatever you want to call it, happened. We were all intimidated. We didn't know. Force. It was traumatizing. Judas is with them, and Jesus and his disciples sense this crowd coming and see this crowd coming. And right away, Jesus takes the lead. He's the one who addresses Judas. But you notice, we know that Jesus, by his comment to Judas and the way that he handled Judas was at peace and completely confident. How is it that Jesus was at peace and so confident that he could deal gently with Judas? Because he'd prayed. He was prayed up, as we covered last week. He was fully surrendered that this was God's will, the Father's will for this cup that had been poured for him and it was for him to drink it. And this was what was transpiring before him. But I can't imagine from the human side, are you really doing this? Betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now we know that that's a, a, a Middle Eastern thing where men, women, doesn't matter. We hug and you embrace and you kiss someone on the cheek. It's just like us shaking hands in our culture, right? But peace, friend, you know, this was the idea of, of that kind of greeting, you know, the writer of Hebrews captured, I think, this moment and other moments of how Jesus uh, had to live among sinners. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4 says this, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and be discouraged in your souls. You've not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. The hostility. Ekthros. It is the verbal opposition to authority. And that's kind of implied in the word. But it's, it's dealing with an antagonistic person. Someone who is defiant in spirit against authority. Now, you'd think that... Was Judas really that defiant? Yeah. And when he was confronted with the whole idea of the money situation, the guilt that was upon his soul for the theft that he was continually doing out of the money bag, he was the treasurer. And being confronted uh, with that, and not allowing to take the money that would have come from the fragrant oil that uh, was put upon Jesus' head, we covered this some time ago, you know, that could have been sold and given, you know, that proceeds could have been given to the poor, you know. Sounds like a really, you know, good thing to do 
He didn't care for the poor. He wanted to dip into the money bag. Wow, another 300. Great. This guy was a defiant person. He was hostile. Even though he may have been smiling, and the outward appearance all throughout the ministry of Christ was one of just there within him was a hostile spirit against the truth and against the Lord himself. And, I, and, and none of the other disciples picked up on it. I, can you imagine this throng of multitude of people coming to the garden and Judas is leading them and the other disciples were like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? You know, it didn't take them long to figure out what was going on. At least it didn't take long for Peter to figure out, did he? No, you know, of course we read here, we know that it's Peter. It's identified in the other Gospels. You've got to admire the guy's courage. Bring it on! <laughs> you know, I'm going to take off all 6,000 plus, right? Just stand back, Jesus, I'll take care of this, you know. He's a special guy. Aren't you looking forward to meeting him? What a great personality. When he cut off the ear, I can guarantee he was not going for his right ear. You know what he was going for. We're taking you completely out, right? And the rest of them, right? Take notice, fellas, I just took his head, so back off, right? And isn't, you know. But love, again, how... Um, he was reproved, again, the gentleness, but yet the forthrightness and firmness of Jesus. Permit even this. Allow this to happen. And, you know, I can't imagine how those nearby who witness the blood gushing from this gash, his ears, wherever it landed, right, and Jesus picking that up and sticking, I don't think he made a noise, but, <laughs> you know, healed. You'll have to take a shower, but here, you're fixed, right? Amazing. I think we should just go back. Let's just drop this warrant. We're out of here. This is something like, whoa, that's why we had 6,000. What supernatural thing is he going to do? Because remember, they believe that he's demon-possessed. All these powers... The people being healed and all that's going on, he's being empowered by Belzebub. Will he take out, you know, what's he going to do to this crowd? Let's make sure we take plenty of guys to handle this. They're just poor, blind leaders. God allows a lot of things to happen. This is probably one of those why questions, right? Why God would you allow this to happen? Why would you submit yourself to the ones you created and allow them to Stick nails in your hands, and your feet. Jam a crown of thorns on your head. Why would you allow that, Lord? This is the turning point in history. Right there. Permit even this. You know, betrayal is a terrible thing. You know, we all think about the betrayal that's happened in history. There are lots of events. You think of Arnold, um, what's his name, Arnold, oh, Benedict Arnold, who, I don't know if you're familiar with the history much, but 
the Battle of Saratoga, he was the one of them that really turned that battle. He was a brave guy fighting uh, for America, and then uh, he became a traitor. Uh, he turned his back and uh, went back to England. You know, they have a statue of, of um, in New York. Um, it's, got, it's got a it's got his leg. A leg doesn't have a name on it, but it, it represents him. He was wounded in that battle, and he was. They thought they should, you know, recognize for the bravery of why they won that battle. A lot of his actions, and for someone who had been so trusted and so loyal, to just turn their back and go the other way, it was very difficult. He, it, it ruined his life. It's really a sad thing, and that's what happens to people who break trust. It brings a ruin to their lives. Sometimes it's, it's not possible to recoup the trust, as in his case, and, uh, and also as in the case of Judas. He couldn't overcome the guilt and realized that he had betrayed innocent blood. Trust is something that is hard to earn, and it's very easy for it to be broken, so it's something that we should value very highly. And then let's pick it up in verse 54 and, and uh, Head to our second point here, denial. And having arrested him, they led him and brought him to the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. Wow, we understand what denial is, right? It's de declaring something that is true as untrue. And Look at the steps of denial that can happen, that happened to Peter, and it can happen to us. For those of us who are strong in the faith, we still have a flesh that we have to fight. I'm capable of doing the very same thing that Peter did. I must understand that I have propensities to be a coward and to turn, be a turncoat and, and to betray and deny. It's within that fallen nature. But you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we trust that that filling and will create a boldness. We'll be as bold as lions and be able to do the right thing because of the grace of God. We're trusting in the grace of God to keep us faithful. And this is what we see absent from Peter's life at this point. And yet we're going to see an incredible transformation as we get into the book of Acts, and we see how being filled with the Holy Spirit is the difference maker. He became one of the most bold men and the apostles of that whole group because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But let's look at 
what happened and what led to that and what we can glean, as it were, uh, to avoid uh, falling into that trap. The first thing we see is that he followed at a distance. Are you following Jesus at a distance? And if you are, why? Is it because you feel there's sin in your life and you're being condemned by the devil because your flesh has got the upper hand? You're not living in the victory that's provided for you through the blood of Christ? You're not trusting in the grace of God. You're trusting in your own ability to overcome your sin? That's what will happen if you're trusting in yourself. You see, God allows that weakness so it breaks us, humbles us. We come to him and we learn to depend upon him. And one of the things we don't want to do is follow the Lord at a distance. We want to be as close to Jesus as possible. We, want to, we don't want to uh, live a performance-based life. We don't, oh, we're having a good day so I can pray with faith that God's going to answer my prayers and I feel so close to Jesus, so God's going to do it. But then I slip and fall and, and I err. Well, I can't go to God with that. But, you know, God isn't going to answer in my prayers. Look, I'm just a, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess, you know. That's relating to God on the basis of the law and not grace. Performance-based is law living. It's one of the most counterintuitive things in our minds and in our hearts to relate to God on the basis of grace. But that's the only way we can. We come on broken, bent, bent knees before him, broken in heart, trusting in him, trusting in his grace. And when you do that, you have power that's delivered by the Holy Spirit into your life, and sin has no control over you. Boldly we say, no to the temptations that we face. And that's why, again, prayer is such a big part of that, that we don't enter into it and we don't yield to it, as we've learned before. The second, another thing we noticed here was not only did he follow at a distance, he sat down there in their presence. And then he sat among them. And then he sat by the fire with them. So he sat down. Now he's in the presence of the ungodly. These are not friends of Jesus. These are not necessarily saved people. He's in the congregation of the ungodly, the wicked, those outside faith. He sat among them. He is identifying with them, sitting among them, sitting by the fire, warming himself. What does that imply? He's having fellowship with them. Psalm 1, it's the reason why it's Psalm 1 in our Psalms, David wrote. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It's walking, standing, and sitting around wicked people will keep you at a distance from Jesus. So we are safe to say here that this was not a blessed moment for Peter at all. And I can't imagine after the crow of the rooster and Jesus is in that court, outer court, and his eyes align with the Savior who is being beaten, buffeted, blindfolded, beaten, spit upon. Just all this is taking place. And then when that happens, it's 
eye to eye, like a knife of convictions racing through his spirit and in his inner man. How could that not break you? And this really should be what sin does in our life. This, is, this following Jesus at a distance should be like a knife of conviction deep within us that causes us to repent. It's so important. Do you believe that evil company corrupts good habits? Do I believe that if I will hang around sinners, I will be affected by them? No. That doesn't mean there's a, some rules that are laid down for us in 1 Corinthians 6. When people are claiming to be a brother and they live in sin, uh, those are the people that you disassociate with. When someone's claiming to be righteous and is not living that way, you avoid any intimate fellowship. doesn't mean you can't talk to them. We're talking about intimacy and a sense of fellowship, you know, sitting with them, you know, sitting among them, having fellowship with them, intimacy in that regard. What's important is that we don't treat sinners that are outside the faith that way. Because if we did that, we'd have to go out of the world, Paul says. So it's the idea of, of what kind of company are you keeping on a regular basis? We, we have to interact with the lost, and we should, with great compassion. We should be bold in our witness, but that doesn't mean we fellowship with them. And this is a, a point to be clear on. But let's look in verse 56 is, again, um, the first denial by the servant girl. He denied the truth before all. Everybody heard him. He denied the truth. He wasn't telling the truth. The second one, after another saw him, and we know this uh, from Matthew's gospel, that it was another servant girl there in the court. He denied a little more strongly, denied with an oath, I swear. I do not know the man. So you see the, what our flesh is capable of. And then the third one, begin, the darkness really began to grip his heart. He denied by cursing and swearing. And that's when the gaze came from the Savior. And Peter, by that gaze, remembered the word of the Lord. It it will always be. The scripture cannot be broken. It will always turn out to be as the Lord says. To think otherwise is foolish. And he is brought under strong conviction. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Remember what he said back in chapter 22, verses 31 through 34 when he's making this boast about there are everybody else might run and hide like little cowards. That's a big paraphrase. I'm not going to because I got your back, Jesus. And the Lord says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. He may sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, and strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Sp 
spot on. Whatever God says to you, in the dark, it'll come to light. It's just the way it is. What was the real issue in the heart of Peter? One, he was self-confident. I'm really, Jesus, more trustworthy than the rest of these guys. Just wanted you to know that, Jesus. He's boastful. I, you know, that personal pronoun that gets us into trouble. And you know, it's kind of interesting as you read uh, and you spell the word pride. What is that center word, letter in pride? I. I, 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 you know, <laughs> gets you into trouble. Prayerlessness. He was sleeping instead of praying with Jesus, right? How important it is. Not to watch somebody else pray, but you yourself to pray. It's okay to have people pray for you, but we ought to be praying ourselves and praying with people. And then again, falling at a distance. Was he, he, was, was he ashamed of Jesus? Was he intimidated? I mean, self-preservation is a pretty strong drive within the human heart. He's being probably being controlled by fear. It's only the Holy Spirit that can make us fearless, really. He's the one that gives us the confidence and the assuredness. Falling in with the wrong crowd, being in the wrong company, you know, just understand that that's going to be a bad influence. Denying the truth about what Jesus said. Oh, Lord, you're, I, you might be right about most things, but I got this one. You know, don't deny the word of the Lord, right? Then backsliding into bad habits as a result of being around bad company. He started speaking things he should not have said. But the thing about Peter and, and about you and about ourselves is that God is merciful and he's gracious and though Satan has come to sift us and test us, we repent. We turn to God. And he brings healing. You see, it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to more guilt, self-inflicted pain, and unforgiveness. You don't really get free from it because you're really not owning it as you should. God can't help the self-righteous. God can't help liars. Why is that? Because you have no foundation on which you can build upon if you lie. You can't help a liar. You can't help the self-righteous. They never do anything wrong. How could you possibly be restored if you're not honestly confessing who you are? I mean, that's the difference between Judas and Peter. Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was broken over his sin. He betrayed in his own heart. He felt he'd betrayed, not only denied, but really betrayed the trust that he had with Jesus. He didn't bring the Sanhedrin with the group, you know, at their behest of the group and with the multitude like Judas did, but in his heart, he broke trust. But he recognized that. I sinned against God. This is what Psalm 51 is about. I have sinned against you and you only. And the whole thing about 
repentance is being washed and cleansed and God creating a new heart, a new spirit within us. Worldly sorrow is from the head. Godly sorrow is from the heart. That's the difference. Worldly sorrow is, I've been found out. I'm not as self-righteous as I want other people to believe that I am. I never make a mistake. I thought I made a mistake once, but I was wrong, you know. Okay, you're still there. So, brokenness is what brought him back, and he was, it took a time, though, for Peter to be fully restored. He told him, when, you, when you've returned, strengthen your brethren. Well, that returning process took a few days. You know, we don't always get over our, our sins. You know, we are forgiven instantly. It's removed as far as the east is from our west, but there are lingering effects. There's a stinger with, with every sin. And sometimes when the stinger's removed, there's still lingering effects that need to be healed. And Peter was ashamed of himself, as we all are. It took Jesus having breakfast with Peter and the group for him to be really restored and brought back under grace. What was the question that Jesus gave to Peter? We're jumping ahead of the story, right? Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Highest level. Do you love me unendingly? Unconditionally? Peter answers, Lord, you know that I Phileo, you. You're, you're my friend. We're brothers. We ha I have brotherly love for you. Feed my sheep. And Jesus continues to use the agape, and, Jesus, and Peter can't get to that level. Why? Because he didn't love Jesus. He, had, he was honest with himself. I, I can't love you like that. I'm a man. And I didn't love you like that. I denied you. Forgiveness is a first step in restoration, and it's through acknowledgement. I know who you are, Peter, and your sin doesn't disqualify you from the plans and purposes I have for your life. Now, some of you, you're carrying a load that you should not be carrying. You've made mistakes, you've sinned, you've been grossly in error and you know it but you can't seem to overcome it because you need more grace do you think your sin has exhausted the grace of God you can never ever exhaust the grace of God you can't exhaust the mercy of God fall upon the rock and you will be broken that's what it's about but in reality, it's not failure that changes us. Oh, that can humble us, that can humiliate us. But true humility comes through grace. Jesus was the most humble and is the most humble person in existence and will always be that way. He never sinned once. It was the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit upon the life of Christ that he exhibited 
that humility as a man, he's the role model. He's the trailblazer for you and for me. It took a few days, even after that encounter with Jesus there eating breakfast that he prepared. Hey, you got any of those fish? Bring them over here. Let's, let's go for it. Wonderful sup, supping with the Lord. And that restoration, that laid the foundation of what God was going to do in the life of Peter. But it was the day of Pentecost that transformed him. He's no longer trusting in his flesh. He knows who he is now. He's been broken from the self-confidence and all of that. He realizes who he is. And now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to give opportunity for that op- this morning. If the group will come back up, they're going to lead us in some songs here. If you want to come forward, the elders will be up front here. If you want to just stand, because we're going to stand here, you might as well stand and stretch your legs now. Let's just, let's just be honest with ourselves. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And every one of us in this room need a, the Bible says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're, we're these clay vessels. The problem with clay vessels is that they crack. They, they leak. The contents. Be being filled implies that you need to be continually filled because it's coming out. So you may have had a great week. You may have had a miserable week. It doesn't really matter. If you're on cloud nine, then let's take it to cloud ten. All right? Let's be being filled. What does it take to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Same thing it takes to be saved. Do you believe in your heart? That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. If you believe that in your heart, you're saved. It's just simple faith. Now, we can believe God for our eternal destiny. Why can't we just believe God to fill us daily with his Holy Spirit? It's just a matter of surrender. Jesus said, he who believes in me out of his innermost being shall gush forth torrents of living water. Have you had that experience? See, your heart isn't here. Your inner man is not in your head. It's it's in your lower, the lowest parts of our being, the deepest recesses of who we are. And that's what he's talking about. That river of love that flows from the very throne of God through the power of his Holy Spirit comes upon a soul and a spirit and it bears witness and it begins to come out. That's the kind of life that you and I are supposed to live. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You think you can live your Christian life without it effectively? Do not be deceived. You cannot. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't want to get too Pentecostal. I don't want you to either. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you you image God. You're just like Jesus. But we're not perfect, but we are growing in that grace. This is an opportunity for you to be restored, filled, healed, strengthened, whatever your need might be. If you feel like you want to come up, feel free to do that. 
If you want to stay right where you're at and you want to be prayed for, raise your hand and one of the elders will come around to you. But let's trust God to give us what he wants to give us and that's himself through the power of his spirit. Father, we ask as we take these few moments in closing to really just call upon your holy name, Lord. We need you. We're desperate for you, Lord. We can't live the way you want us to live without your power and your love in our lives. So as we pray one for another, as we pray individually, Lord, may your spirit come upon each one of us, Lord, and do that special work that only you can do. I ask, Father, that you would be gracious to us and give us a little bit more of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.